Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Today I'd like to talk about creating interest in our practice and keeping it interesting. Have you noticed sometimes it's so extraordinary? It's just like you've been given a ticket to an incredible spectacle. How fascinating. God, I can't believe all this is happening. And then not too long after, things start to change. (laughs) This is so boring. I'm going out of my mind. I don't want to look anymore. The big so what, I call it. So what? Another breath, another lifting. (laughs) What am I going to learn on this next one that I haven't seen already? Interest is a a very important aspect of practice because without it, it's very hard to keep on looking. And often around this time in a retreat, past the midway point, a little bit further where you can almost see the end down the road. Even though there's a week left, there can be a tendency to to coast, to kind of get through the retreat. You know what the whole um, rhythm of the day is like and the sittings just melt into the walkings and then the meal time and then back again. You can kind of hang in there with it. And it would be a shame if we coasted through the rest of this very precious time together. So how can we keep the practice alive and really fresh? <clears throat> Interest is um, at times so powerful that we don't need to be persuaded to look at something. When something really catches us. I recall uh, when I was a, a kid and I was, um, I was watching the World Series. As a number of people know, I'm a bit of a sports fan. <coughs> fanatic, I should say, sports fanatic. And I was watching the World Series. Uh, I was about nine or ten and the Yankees were in the World Series. So I was a Yankee fan in those days. And it was like the sixth or seventh game, just getting very intense down down the wire. And I was glued to the TV. And my mother was watching this this whole uh, this whole scene. And just before this crucial uh, moment, <laughs> she said, "I want to ask you something, Jamie." <laughs> she said, "If you knew that." I was going to die in about five minutes. <laughs> this is my koan. What do you think you'd want to be paying more attention to? She was she really tested him. And I in all honesty said, Give me a few minutes to think about it. <laughs> I didn't want to miss the ball game. It's amazing when you're so glued to 
the object, how hard it is to take your attention away. Uh, this attention that seems so elusive at times. When are we interested in life? Think of the times out in our world when we're really interested, whether it's sports or uh, a friend comes in who you haven't seen in a while or your child comes by. When are you so connected with the experience that there's no effort to maintain attention? And what does it feel like? What's, what's going on at that time? Just reflect for a moment. And then bring that to the retreat experience. When in the last few days have you been quite fascinated with what's been happening? And what has that experience felt like? What was going on then? What qualities were present? (coughs) Usually, out in the world and often on retreat, there's some aspect of pleasure or entertainment when we're quite interested in things. And it stimulates the senses, it's often fun, there's a feeling of being alive, there's a real contact with what's happening. But here we don't have that uh, that gift to be able to change the channel when it starts getting less entertaining. We can't do that here. And so there's a real challenge that comes with the practice in getting interested or maintaining interest in something that wouldn't usually be thought of as quite exciting. Watching my breath, sitting still, lifting my foot. If you ask somebody to get excited about that out in the world, they'd think you're nuts. But we all know, since we're still here after all this time, that there is something quite interesting about the process and the practice. Why is it interesting? Well, there's a sense of real richness and aliveness when we are in contact with what's happening. Eating our food, tasting an apple. It's so brilliant at times. It can be overwhelming. Or even watching the breath. When you're quite present and there, it's so delicious. It's sweet. And often the, the mind says, God, why is this so hard other times? It's so, so amazing just to be here and sitting and breathing. How wonderful. When our attention is really present and focused and strong, almost any object can hold us. Then when I was... I remember doing this a lot when I was a, a child, seeing a shaft of light come through the windows. And I look up close and, and there's all this dust doing a dance in that shaft of light. Fascinating. I'd look at it for a long time. And if somebody would ask me what I'm doing and I'd say I'm watching dust, 
probably wouldn't have them come and keep me company but you've probably had similar experiences in that the the quality of interest includes some of the factors of enlightenment that Sylvia spoke about the other night three in particular out of the seven have to do with um, arousing uh, our capacity to look investigation energy and joy which is sometimes defined as a keen interest or delight in the object <clears throat> and so as we develop this capacity to um, to stay connected in a way that brings about some aliveness we're developing those qualities of enlightenment of investigation exploring <coughs> of creating energy and of bringing some joy and lightness to what's going on and it's it's a quality that whether or not we meditate is inherent in us I see my baby Adam who's just a little more over one he wants to see everything you know he'll wake up I, I go there in the mornings and I I'm the first person he sees when he wakes up and after a big smile and then I hold him and then all of a sudden it's exploring pointing he doesn't he doesn't speak but he goes uh 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 and then we go over to to that one looks at it for a while uh uh and then he goes over and then he'll start crawling all over the house just looking at one thing after another we were all like that when we were little children and we can see it from from time to time here in the retreat even when it seems that interest is low we get fascinated by other things in the breath for instance as you walk out the the uh, the doors here you ever notice going by the bulletin board <laughs> maybe there's some new piece of wisdom on there or maybe I'll get the the note that's going to wake me up maybe they've changed the interviews again even though you might have had yours for the day <laughs> oh he's having an interview at 11:35 and we start to read what's ever around or the, going down the hallways how many times have you you know read the the flyer that's up in the library wherever it is that you happen to keep on looking is this strong tendency of curiosity that can be both a difficulty in practice if it keeps us out of what's going on or an aid to practice if we can use that energy to bring ourselves into what's actually here curiosity also it's called restlessness a restless mind that looks outside for completion is one of the last things to go in the um, full development of of the of the mind even up to the third stage of enlightenment and in this model of mind there's four stages of enlightenment the third stage there's still this quality of restlessness of looking of judgment in the mind of comparing and of forgetting what's actually here so if you find yourself caught up in judgment or curiosity or 
you forget what's going on. It just means you haven't become fourth stage fully enlightened. <coughs> Such a strong capacity to want to know, to want to find out. And it's really the... Um, it's the source of our wanting to connect. Interest and and love are very close. It's really the um, the prerequisite for love, in some way. There's a beautiful passage in in this book, "The Universe Is a Green Dragon," that you might be familiar with. The author Brian Swim talks about allurement the capacity of um, objects, whether or not they're people or alive, to want to come together. And he says, the strangest thing is that this alluring activity permeates the cosmos on all levels of being. These allurements permeating you and everyone and everything else are fundamentally mysterious. You are interested in certain things, certain people, certain activities. Each interest is as fundamental to the universe as is the gravitational attraction our Earth feels for the sun. We cannot explain why these attractions exist. We can only become aware of them. The great mystery is that we are interested in anything whatsoever. Why should there be this attraction? Think of your friends, how you first met them, how interesting they appeared to you. Why should anyone in the whole world interest us at all? Why don't we experience everyone as utter, unendurable bores? Sometimes we do. (laughs) Not often, though. Why isn't the cosmos made that way? Why don't we suffer intolerable boredom with every person, forest, symphony, and seashore in existence? The great surprise is the discovery that something or someone is interesting. Love begins there. Love begins when we discover interest. To be interested is to fall in love. To become fascinated is to step into a wild love affair on any level of life. So we have it. It's in us. It's in our being. It's one of the natural um, laws of of the physical plane, this attraction between things. What gets in the way of our interest while we're here? When do you check out? Just think for a moment the times that you find yourself checking out, not wanting to be here, or forgetting getting bored what goes on there just get in touch with your own answers one thing that often happens when we lose our interest is our energy gets low It's very hard to stay connected and stay focused when we're tired, which is a natural rhythm in our practice from day to day. 
Even when you go, sometimes I go to a movie, something that I really wanted to see, right? and I've just been exhausted. I find myself kind of drifting off in the movie, nodding off. And it's a great movie, and there's a part of me that's getting very frustrated, and I know I'm going to be sorry that I missed this. Just, I just can't maintain it. It requires energy to stay connected. Other times when I have a lot of energy, I could be at a movie that's not so particularly profound, but I'll appreciate little things about it, little subtleties, because I'm there. When your energy is low and you're trying to look at things very, very carefully, you'll get exhausted very soon. That meditation uh, that I did this morning that I shared with you about looking at things precisely and refined awareness, it can get very discouraging if you try to maintain that for a long time. You can't stay microscopic. I used to have this idea that when I was doing it that way, that's where it was at. Ah, I really arrived at the meditation. At one point in my practice on on one retreat, it was was really vivid and brilliant, how wonderful. And then when I'd not be there, it would be a waste of time. And this went on for a number of days. It seemed like everything else didn't quite count until I realized the point is not to see things always that microscopically. It's to see things in whatever way you're able to connect with them. And at times, I've said this before, you need to change the lens through which you're viewing things. If you're there for the zoom lens and it's staying quite clear for a while, wonderful. But when you start to get tired, when the energy starts to get low, then that's time to change the lens to a much bigger arena of viewing. Feeling yourself getting tired. Feeling the sadness of losing your concentration. Feeling the confusion that comes when you don't know what to look for. And there you are, looking at one big package of confusion. In that moment, oh, confusion, that's what's going on. A few years ago, I I did some... uh, some painting with a woman named Michelle Cassou that some people are familiar with here. Marge does, uh, has done a lot of work with her and, and does teaching in this style of, of painting. She's a wonderful teacher, very very high being. And I'm, I have no talent at all in, as far as painting. That's not the point, <clears throat> luckily, because I'd be in trouble if it was. But what she does is have people get in touch with their natural creativity, with with what's coming out inside or what wants to come out inside, and just expressing it on the paper. It's very much like Vipassana on paper. And every now and then, you get stuck. You're just trying really hard to make something either pretty or make something meaningful. And and I'd be on one part of the paper... Stuck there, and and she sees when you're starting to slow down. She'll she'll go over and she'll say, "Go ahead and pick another color." Okay, I didn't, doesn't occur to me I can pick another color. I'll go over to this set of colors. Oh, purple. All right, and I'll try to go back to that that place I'm drawing. She says, 
Go to another part of the paper. Oh, okay, another part of the paper. Oh, here's a whole new world. Let's start going away and thinking, well, I didn't know that. If you're stuck in thinking you're supposed to be in one particular place, looking at one particular thing, it gets very tiring and boring after a while. You need to unstick, unstick yourself. Find another thing to look at that might be more matched with where your perception is at. Is at. Make it fun. Make it playful. That's the thing that I, I really got from one of the things from, from working with her. Don't get stuck in trying to make something happen. Just allow things to reveal themselves by having an open, playful attitude. At times, in order to make it playful, people find various gimmicks and games. Have you noticed? It's amazing the the capacity of, of mind to play little games. And they can be very useful. Be, be kind of interesting if we had a catalog of mental games that people use to, to keep themselves mindful. Don't feel like you're cheating when you do something like that. It's okay. Usually they, the gimmicks don't last for too long. And after a while, you find that what worked yesterday or the day before just, just isn't doing it. Okay. You don't have to hold on to that game. It was useful while it was there. Counting the breaths. You might have found that to be a useful game because it brings some kind of motivation to be here. Or counting the judgments, as Jack had suggested a a few days ago. See how many judgments you can come up with. Sometimes when I'm eating, I count the chews. How many chews does it take to swallow this peanut butter and rice cake? I'll count the the mouthfuls that it takes to get through a meal. Waiting on the food line, and there you are, and it's going slowly. What happens at that time? Are you busy spacing out? I make a game with myself sometimes to keep in perpetual motion, just to see all the the various subtleties of movement. It's fine. You don't want to make too much of a project out of it and, and think of what game can I use now to, to get me here. But sometimes they just come all by themselves. The key ingredient is, is it helping me to stay present? <clears throat> sometimes when boredom is really strong, we have to trick ourselves into being interested. I told this before when I was a, a college student. I had a good friend, Joe. We went through high school and, and college together and had pretty much the, the, same, uh, the same average in high school. We were good, fairly smart people who didn't work so hard. You know that one? And then when we got to college, this guy just took off and he graduated like cum laude. And I asked him one day, I said, how is it that you, you've been doing so well in college, you know? And we both had the same kind of work habits in, in high school. 
And he said, well, I go to the class thinking that this person who's teaching me has devoted his whole life to this particular field. There must be something that he found interesting in it. He or she. And then I trick myself those first few days, even if it's statistics or uh, something incredibly boring or mundane, I trick myself into seeing what's fascinating about this. What did this guy find so interesting? And although at the beginning it's, it's pretend, it's a trick, after a while as I start to understand and become familiar with it, I do find something interesting in it invariably and then I find myself wanting to learn more and more it was great it was a great explanation unfortunately I asked him in my senior year about that so <laughs> it didn't help me too much but I've, tr- I've done that quite often in my own practice just playing a little trick with myself okay I'm going to pretend this is interesting sometimes that's the first step to creating contact with it because in the next moment after a long series of boring sessions in the next moment the energy can change you can start to see something new and a whole world opens up to you so you don't know remember on one retreat just after I was sitting for a few years a number of years my, I think my second three month retreat all of a sudden I opened up into this trap door into a wonderland and I'd never sat before. I said, my God, I can't believe all this is happening. And I was really going through a lot of boredom before then. And it was like the tip of the iceberg. I keep on seeing my practice as the tip of the iceberg because there's so much more to discover. If I get complacent and think, oh, I know all there is to know. You know I've seen all the breasts there are to see. I won't learn anything new. I'm really cheating myself. Actually, the Buddha, one of the things about the Buddha and his, uh, his evolution, especially in his, in his last, last lifetime, he never was complacent about whatever he had attained. And he had gone through all the great meditations and uh, developments of mind that were around India at that time, studied with the great teachers, and he'd mastered everything that could be learned from a particular teacher, but he knew it wasn't the end, because there was still some place in him that was not free, that had some grasping, that had some unclarity. And so he would be compelled to keep on looking, keep on searching. If we can have that uh, incentive, that lack of complacency, that keeps on exploring it brings the practice to a great fullness because there always is more to see. Boredom sometimes sets in when you think of how long you've been doing it and you're carrying around the retreat on your shoulders. Oh, I've been here, what is it now? 11 days or so? I've been here 11 days I had my peak experience, you know, after the sixth or seventh, you know, and now, you know, it'll be a nice retreat. But I've put in my time. Let go of everything that's happened until now. 
This is the very beginning of a seven-day retreat. The very beginning. And it's an extraordinary beginning because you have a momentum that happened over the last few days, whatever you've been doing, that brings you into this very first day of a seven-day retreat, quieter, stiller, able to stay mindful for stretches at a time. Let go of carrying the whole retreat on your back with you. Keep it fresh. Keep it alive. (coughs) Once I was on my first retreat, my first three-month retreat, after two weeks, one of the teachers, Richard, gave a talk on (coughs) the people who were leaving the retreat after that two-week period and people were having exciting experiences and now are really um, looking forward to going out into the world and his advice to the people who were leaving the retreat at that point as well as the people who were staying was forget it ever happened just forget it ever happened and I thought wait a second I've been putting in my time forget it ever happened because that'll keep you fresh in the moment certainly there are things that you've learned and that you'll have inside as a resource for you but don't keep on holding on to the past and rather than looking forward to how much more there is to go that's the other side of the coin of the concept of time seven more days or three more sits today take it one breath at a time can you be here fully for this breath for just this breath That's the only one you need to think about. Just one breath at a time. It's it's quite manageable. Another way that we get dragged down in our interest is when we lose our inspiration. When we lose our motivation for practicing. Faith has a very strong effect on energy. Actually, there's a a formula for the development of wisdom that uses the five different faculties, spiritual faculties. Faith leads to energy or effort. Effort and energy lead to mindfulness. Mindfulness leads to concentration. And concentration and mindfulness lead to wisdom. If we don't have faith, or we don't, or we somehow lose our motivation or our uh, appreciation for the practice, it cuts that whole process off. And that's another way that we bring down our energy. One retreat, the last couple of weeks at a, a three-month retreat, Howie and I were sitting at this retreat, and I had felt I put in my time. All of a sudden, the last few weeks, uh, Ajahn Sumedho came, a man who I've read a few times from when I've been here. He came and he gave this really inspiring talk on the paramitas. Blew me away. And he just had this presence. Okay. And all of a sudden, my practice shifted tremendously just by feeling that inspiration. Okay, I will do this. This stuff is really worth putting in my time. It was just a whole new quality to, uh, to the meditation. And those last two weeks were very, uh, very meaningful for me. When our 
motivation and our inspiration is down, we sometimes forget why it is that we practice. It's very useful to remember that from time to time. Why did you come here anyway? Take vacation time or take time out from family, friends. Why did you come here? Maybe there'll be 50 different answers if we, if we go around the room as far as motivation. So maybe some people want to become purified. Maybe some others want happiness. Maybe others want enlightenment. Maybe others want peace or growth or wholeness. It doesn't matter. And the reasons will change from time to time. That doesn't matter either. Whatever gets you here, get in touch with what your motivation for practice is. And remember it when you start to have some waning effort and doubts start getting strong. I mentioned a few nights ago, one of my main inspirations, every moment of mindfulness counts. And when I start to get real lazy or slack, just musters up some inspiration. Every single one counts. It's like somebody's keeping score up there. Okay, if that's what gets me to do it, I'll do it. When we have a strong motivation, our interest can, can do amazing things. And we can stay with things long beyond our uh, imagined ability to, uh, to stay with them, to endure. Jack turned me on to the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> there were two that I, I thought might be interesting for you. Domino toppling. <clears throat> the record... The record for a team of two setting up, setting up is the tumble of 255,389 dominoes in 53 minutes, August 24, 1980, in Japan. John Wickham and Erez Klein, both, United, both Americans, spent five weeks setting up the colored dominoes, which were toppled not only in long multiple rows, but also in concentric circles and geometric patterns, setting off rockets, releasing eggs that rolled into hot frying pans, (laughs) and going up ramps. Five weeks it took them to set that up. 53 minutes to put down. Can you imagine the interest that they had and the care? I mean, if you make one slip, that's it. Here's, here's one more. <laughs> grape catching. The longest distance for catching a grape in the mouth <laughs> that has been thrown from a site on the same ground level is 318 feet 8 inches by Arden Chapman of Pioneer, Louisiana, July 18, 1980. The Northeast Louisiana University football field was used for the event. Jerry Pete Mercer, the thrower, stood in one end zone, and on the 20th attempt, Chapman caught the grape on the track at the opposite end of the field. A slight crosswind was blowing. (laughs) (laughs) 
can you imagine the interest that that guy brought to that task? And here you're just being asked to follow one breath. Not that big a deal. Often interest starts to wane when things become difficult, when it's unpleasant. As I said at the beginning, it's not so hard when it's fun, when it's entertaining. But when it's difficult, that's a different story. But when we can stay with it, when we really bring our awareness to make contact, you've probably all noticed from time to time how fascinating pain can be. When you're not finding a way to bogging yourself out of it. You're really there. My goodness. You never thought you'd be able to stay with that one. It's quite exhilarating. Have you had an exhilarating meditation over pain? Just as the bell rings? But there you are, just so focused in. The Buddha talked a lot about recognizing things, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant. In the Satipatthana Sutra, which is the, the sutra on mindfulness, doesn't matter to him what you're looking at it at, whether it's entertaining or not. Herein a monk knows the mind with lust as with lust. The mind without lust is without lust. The mind with hate as with hate. The mind without hate as without hate. The mind with delusion as delusion. The mind without delusion is without delusion. The shrunken state of mind is the shrunken state. The distracted state of mind is the distracted state. And so on and so on. It's not deciding, well, is this going to be interesting enough for me to watch? Once you start noticing that, it becomes quite fascinating. Oh, and there's distracted state, and then it becomes an interesting state, and then it becomes turns into something else and you start seeing the process of experience. When we recognize even difficulties like fear, they lose their power to, uh, to keep us from noticing when we see them just for what they are. The labels can be very helpful with that as well. And we don't want to look at this fear and then, okay, let me look right at it for the next minute or so. And then when we see it, oh, it's kind of interesting. Oh, there's tightness there, there's butterflies, there's tension, there's tightness, constriction in my throat. And it's quite workable. This is from Jnana Panakatera. He says, There is an element of truth in the word magic of primitive man. Things that could be named had lost their secret power over, over man the horror of the unknown. To name a force, sorry, to know the name of a force, a being or object, was to primitive people identical with the mastery over it. That ancient belief in the magical power of knowing the name appears also in many fairy tales and myths where the power of a demon is broken just by facing him courageously and pronouncing his name. It's true, isn't it? When you just see fear as fear, or confusion as confusion, it loses its power, and then we don't have to turn away from it. We can stay right with it and learn a lot.
Another aspect of inspiration is a sense of preciousness of this process that we're doing. An appreciation for discovering the Dharma. You know when that spirit of discovery is here? It's, it's so powerful. Even when we're, we're in pain or confusion, in the moments that you see the, uh, the power and the, the value of it, and seeing this opportunity, who knows when it will come again, and kind of muster up our, our interest to it. You start to go inside and say, my goodness, I'm alive. What does that mean? You ever have that feeling? I used to get into this, this thought many times when I was a child. I'm alive. What does it mean to be alive? How did I get here? What's going on now? It's that immediacy, that um, awe that we can bring to our practice too. What does it mean to take this breath? Not that there's any answer for it, but simply the question that gets us to, uh, to be here. This is from Thich Nhat Hanh. It's a passage that I've read before I really like. He says, Walking with ease and with peace of mind on the earth, that's a wonderful miracle. Some people say that only walking on burning coals or walking on spikes or on water are miracles, but I find that simply walking on the earth is a miracle. Then he gives an image. Imagine that you and I were two astronauts for a moment and we've landed on the moon, and we find that we cannot return to Earth because our engine in the ship is broken beyond repair. We will run out of oxygen before the control center on Earth can send another ship up to rescue us. We know that we have only two more days to live. What then would you and I think of other than going back to our dear green planet and walking side by side in peace and without worries? Usually, only when confronted with death do we know the precious value of our steps on the green planet. Now, let's imagine ourselves as those astronauts who somehow survived their experience. Let's celebrate our happiness and our joy at being able to walk on our dear green earth again. We manifest this miracle in each of our steps. Lotus flowers bloom as we walk. With the right attitude, the proper attitude, this moment is not only okay, but it's complete and it's fascinating. We need some lightness of heart if we're going to be maintaining interest or having interest, uh, generating interest. It can't come when we're very contracted. When we're too strained, it's impossible to see what's going on and it gets exhausting. Even when you're being very precise, you won't be able to maintain that for a while. If you're starting to feel closed in, get some space and get some lightness. Soften a bit. 
But with that attitude of knowing what adjustment is needed to bring some interest to, to the moment, all experiences, not just the entertaining ones, can start to reveal something quite beautiful. Reveal the magic that's all around us. It's all around us. And then instead of the usual question of, well, is this going to hold my interest? You know, What will make this moment interesting for me and entertaining? You start to see that life is quite interesting as it is. It's quite enough just as it is and it's worthy of our attention. So, if there's any questions or comments, okay. it can take some time. Um, I, I, I found the hardest times to keep my interest when I've lost my concentration. When you what? When you've blown your concentration. And so I guess I'd like you to speak about renewing your interest at those points. Okay. He finds that when he's blown his concentration, it's the hardest time to keep keep his interest. That's often the cycle and the trap. Because then the mind says, well, if I can't look that closely, what's the point? Or I've lost it. You haven't lost anything. Just the concentration has has changed as it invariably, as it inevitably will. That's the time to change your lens and see what am I experiencing now? Oh, confusion. Oh, loss. Not to get microscopic about that. Concentration is just the ability to, to stay with the object and it doesn't matter how big the object is. I had an experience on, uh, on one retreat where I'd get quite concentrated and a- after I went through this cycle four or five times I-, I started to run to the teacher whenever I'd get concentrated with some nervousness in my mind saying, uh, I'm getting concentrated again, I think I need an interview. <laughs> so, all right, well. And I, actually it was more than four or five times, I went through this cycle probably hundreds of times <clears throat> during the course of a few days. And what I found was when I'd get concentrated, it would feel quite sweet and delicious. And then the next sitting or a few sittings after that, it wouldn't be quite as concentrated. And then I'd start to figure out what I could do to get back there. And then I would start to get a little bit agitated in my mind, getting worried that I lost it. And then the agitation would lead to some confusion and then a, a kind of despair and loss, and then a, a, a real frustration. And then I would just give up, and then as soon as I'd give up, boom, there it was again. And I was going up and down like a yo-yo. It was, it was driving me crazy. 
I wasn't seeing that the problem was that I was holding on to the concentration.
question. What was the game? The Yankees. What was the game? It was a World Series game, right? Yeah, it was a World the Series. Yankee I forget which one. I think it was around 56 Yankees. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.